Wasn't that a beautiful song by Taylor? The Lord has really gifted her. She wasn't much older than Colin when she first started singing in the church. And she sang with the kids' choir, and she knew every song and sang them so well. Little did we know in those days she would grow up to have the voice that she has, the heart she has for the Lord, and the wonderful family with Jeff and Colin. It's amazing what God can do, isn't it? When we allow him to have his way and his will in our lives, he can do amazing things, mighty things, things that we could never dream we would ever do, because God is in it, and we're thankful for that. Shall we just say a word of prayer? Father, we are so confident today in you, not in ourselves, but confident in you, that you love us, that you care for us, that you're with us every day. We pray now you'll calm and quiet our hearts and speak to us through your word. Please hide me behind the cross, Lord. May your word touch us where we need touching, convict us where we need convicting, encourage us where we need encouragement, and just help us, Lord, to be the people that you want us to be in this world. And so we commit this time to you and pray that you'll direct us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. How many have heard of John Wesley? Yes, John Wesley was a great man of God. And he used to have a journal. And in his journal, he would record his experiences with people and where he went in the service of the Lord and things he did. And he recorded a story that he had where he visited a lady who was ill. And she was in her sick bed. And she had, listen to this, buried seven of her family members in the last six months. And her beloved husband, she had just heard that he was cast away at sea. So John Wesley asked her, he said, don't you fret at any of these things? She answered with a loving smile on her pale cheeks, oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all beside. He has given me himself, and I have learned to love and praise him every moment. What an attitude. When I read that story, it convicted me. It made me to just, the little things that sometimes don't go our way, we complain and things, difficult circumstances. Here's a woman who lost seven family members. If you call it, count the husband, that'd be the eighth one, and then she herself is confined to a bed of illness, and she's the one who's smiling, and she's the one who's rejoicing. And that's why he was so amazed. Don't you fret at any of these things. Yes, things in life can get us down, can't it? There can be discouragement. There can be difficulty. There can be problems, and we all face it. But when we know that everything that happens in our lives comes from the Lord... And it's his will, either his permissive will or his perfect will, we can accept it and it can put a smile on our face and joy in our hearts knowing that his will is to be done. God's will will never lead us where his grace cannot keep us. And we're so thankful for that. And if I were to ask you this question, do you want to do God's will? I think every hand would go up, sure I do, yes I do, of course I want to know God's will, of course I want to do God's will. But how many of us, when we find out what God's will is for us personally, start to kind of question that? Why is God doing this? Why is he allowing that? Why is this situation happening to me again and again and again? And why am I not getting well faster? And why isn't this happening quicker? But when we come to the point in life where we say, Lord, I want your will no matter what, 
He will do great and mighty things with us. But we have to surrender. We have to just commit our lives to the Lord and trust in Him and say, Lord, Your will be done. You know, so many times people say, I'm all in for God's will. You can count me in as long as God's will is fun. As long as it's exciting. As long as it's something I want to do. I'm with you. I'm with you. But, you know, if it is going to involve any kind of sacrifice, mm -mm, no, sorry. If it's going to involve any kind of pain, mm, I don't want that. If it's going to involve any hardship, no. Mm -mm. Any suffering, nope, I don't want it. We cannot say that. We have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want your will. I desire to know your will. I want to determine your will, and then I want to do it. No excuses, no turning back. I want to do your will, no matter what it entails for our lives. So many times we grow up, don't we? We dream of what I want to do in the future. I want to be this. I want to be that. And we don't end up turning out that way, do we? God has different plans. He works things out in a different way. But we know that God's will is always best for us if we just trust in Him. And really, when you come down to the will of God, a lot of times it comes down to the will of God is already revealed to us in His Word. He's given us the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He's given us His Word and in his word is the revealed will of God. So right there, we have about 90% of it. The rest of it is circumstances that he leads us on the specific things of life. And when we're willing to go for counsel, go to prayer, go to his word, he will show us what to do. And we always look back and say, wow, Lord, if you hadn't done that, and I had done what I thought was best, or I had done my will, Wow, look how it would have turned out. It would have come up in flames. It would have been burned up with ashes. But because I trusted in you, Lord, you took me right through it. Right through it. God's will is good because God is good. The Lord Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 when he said the Lord's Prayer. The end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that always strikes me when it says on earth as it is in heaven, because you know God's will is done in heaven, right? 24-7, 365, all through eternity, God's will is done. The only time God's will wasn't done in heaven is when Lucifer, who became Satan, rebelled against God, and he and all these evil angels, they were all cast out. But other than that, God's will in heaven is done perfectly. It's done on time. It's done immediately, without question, without doubt, without speculation. And that's how it should be done in our lives as well. God gives us the grace to do His will. And He never asked you, and He never asked me to do something that we can't handle. And the reason we, can't, we can handle it is because He gives us the grace to handle it. If we were to look at a circumstance and a situation, we could look at that and we could say, I could never go through that, right? That lady who lost her son in the accident, and it was no coincidence, Chantel happened to meet her this week and was able to comfort her and encourage her. This lady who, who lost her, her child in that accident, that terrible accident on 680. And you, how do you know what to say? But what we do as Christians, we know that God has a way and he has a plan and he knows what's going to happen in our lives. The title of our message today is Doing the Will of God 
joyfully. Doing the will of God joyfully. Some of us will do the will of God, but we do it grudgingly. We do it without our whole heart in it. We know we have to do it, but we're not really happy about it. But God wants us to be like this woman in the sickbed who had that joy that said, Lord, how can I fret over anything that is your will in my life? It's good for me, and it's for your glory. And that's what we're going to look at today. Doing God's will and doing it joyfully. Today we're going to see four things that the Bible says in the New Testament are God's will for us. And we can know them confidently that these are God's will because they, they even say so in so many words. The first one is God's will is separation from sin and from this world. Now that's not a popular topic. So sorry, folks. We're not going to have a, a politically correct message today. If I was in that movie and they said, Dean, bring your sermon notes in here for the last three months, well, I'd bring this one in and they wouldn't like that first point. Mm -mm, they would not like it. But like that pastor who refused to take his sermon notes in, despite the consequences, he would refuse to do that. Secondly, God's will is suffering for the cause of Christ. And that's not another popular one among Christians. You're not going to hear it in many churches that this is God's will for you to suffer because they want to fill the churches with all kinds of people. And if you start talking about separation and you talk talking about suffering, you're going to lose one and then you're going to lose another and you're going to lose another. And people say, I want to go to a church that makes me feel good. I don't want to go to a church that convicts me. I don't want to go to a church that makes me feel uncomfortable. And yet, God's will for us is separation from the world, and it is to suffer for the cause of Christ. Thirdly, God's will is to endure through the end, to endure, to have that spirit of keeping going all the way to the end. And number four is God's will for us is to be thankful in all things. Well, I mentioned it's not a popular topic nowadays, but for Christians, it's vital. It's vital. You can't live a successful Christian life, and you cannot serve the Lord successfully if you're not separated from this world and set apart for God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is such a familiar portion to us, and it's so powerful. And Paul, writing to the Romans, says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God does not want us to allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. There was a writer of uh, one of the translations who put it that way that said, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Everybody wants everybody to be the same nowadays. We mentioned it already, politically correct. Brother Adel, you're not politically correct. And you don't plan to be, right? Okay, me either. I'm with you on that. Because we don't want to be politically correct. We want to be scripturally correct. We want to be correct in God's sight. And that's why he wants us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And when we do that, we prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you ever think of that? God's will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And it's just for us. 
You know, we saw in that movie on Friday night, and I've seen it now two full times all the way through, and I saw a part way through on a, on a third time. And in that movie, we saw this principle worked out of separation from the world and from sin. We saw in the movie a teacher take a stand for what she believed. And she was on the brink of losing everything, financially, materially, everything. And she turned it over. Did you notice? She turned it over to the Lord in prayer. She cried out, literally with tears, and left it in the Lord's hand. And then that other lady got on the phone and she called the Christian group there, the newsboys that were playing there, and she said, pray for this lady. She's on trial here. And, God, and Christ's cause is, is, is on the line. She took a stand for what she believed. And I mentioned that pastor who refused to give his sermon notes. Notice in the movie, he struggled with that. The other pastors were going to do it. He's, I can't do it. So he went in and his envelope was so thin. And he put it there and that man was eating his lunch. And he said, that's all there is? Well, I'm sorry, in the letter, I'm sending you a letter that I'm not going to give you my sermon notes. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to risk that? He says, I'm sure of it. And we can be sure when we take a stand for the Lord and we know it's right and we know it's God's will and we're standing on the word of God, we can know it with confidence no matter what the world says, no matter what the results for us, we're going to stand. And then we saw a Japanese young man in that movie who took a stand. And how many of us would be able to do that? His father comes in. And they're speaking in Japanese, but they have the subtitles there, so you know exactly what the father is saying and exactly what the son is saying. And I thought it was really interesting, the word Abba, Abba, he called him Abba, which is very similar to the words in the, in the, in the New Testament for father. It's, it's amazing. And the father was so upset because he said, you're, you're throwing your life away, you're shaming the family, you're shaming me. And he says, Father... I've come to know God. I've come to know Jesus. I've come to accept him. I see God everywhere here. And he, the father slapped him. And the father says, you're no longer my son. How many of us would be willing to stand when a family member disowns us because of the cause of Christ? Because we have separated ourselves from this world. We have stood for him. And then I like this, the young girl who got saved. And she went into that court and said, I want to tell the truth. I want to tell what really happened. Against her own parents, who were the ones who were bringing this whole suit. And it's amazing. And so you see that when you're separated for the world and set apart for God, you're not going to be popular. It's not going to be easy. The stands we take are not hard. I mean, that are hard, that we have to take. They're not going to be easy. We live in a sinful world just like Paul lived in a sinful world. And he was telling the believers there, you have to be different. You have to live a different life. You have to speak a different way. You have to, you have to give glory to God despite this pagan society you're living in. And the Roman society, the Roman Empire, was pagan through and through. And yet the Christians were different. They loved Christ. They loved the Word of God. They loved each other. And they turned the world upside down because of that. And Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, which is your own body, in sanctification and honor. I would say, young people, beware. 
I say all of us, beware. We're living in a sinful society. Sin is everywhere. It wants to squeeze you into its mold. We see it today. Pornography is a huge problem. It's in movies. It's on TV. It's in magazines. It's on the internet. Satan has made sin very accessible and very secretive. It used to be years ago that people would have to go to these these studios. They'd have to go into these sinful places. They'd have to actually go in. Now, you just sign on to your computer. You go off into this sinful fantasy land, and it's a sinful thing. And we as Christians have to guard our minds. We have to guard our lives. We have to do God's will and say, I'm not going to be involved with that. I'm not going to get involved with that destructive thing. So that's God's will, number one. Are we willing to do it? To be separated from sin and from this world? Are we willing to do God's will? Secondly, are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Suffering involves trials. It involves tribulations and afflictions. And the early Christians went through it, didn't they? They once had a council of early Christians back in the 300 A.D. time frame. And they had, of those people, so many of them had been been persecuted. Many of them had injuries and many of them had been beaten and all kinds of things, a huge percentage of them. And it was true then. And we may not be beaten today or persecuted in that way here in the United States, but I guarantee Christianity is under fire today. It's under fire everywhere throughout our land. People don't want to hear the name of Christ. They don't want to hear about Christianity. Tell me about any other religion. They're just fine with it. But talk about Christ, no. Talk about the cross, no. Talk about the Bible, no. Yeah, that attorney, uh, we were saying, Sylvia and I were thinking alike, you know, that attorney, I, I said it too when I watched the movie, exactly what she said. That attorney on the side, in the other opposite side, wasn't that like the devil himself? I mean, <laughs> he was like the devil himself. And he was defeated. He thought he had it. He was smiling. He thought he won. And God turned the tables on him, and he lost, and he walked out of that court. And then the lady said, you think, are we going to appeal? Oh, no, we better not appeal, because if we appeal and lose, it's going to be even worse. And so they went on their way defeated. And eventually, this world is totally defeated. Totally. It's not going to win. Peter reminded the believers in 1 Peter 3, 16 and 17 when he said, Have a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who refile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Yes, that's God's will for us indeed. Suffering's not easy, whether it's mental suffering, emotional suffering, physical suffering, financial suffering. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for this lady laying in that bed with all these things that had happened to her, but she realized God was with her. And he had done so much for her that she was not going to fret. She was not going to worry. She was not going to give up. Charles Spurgeon tells of a on a wall, a plaque that he put on his wall in his bedroom, and it had Isaiah 41.10 on it that says this, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And he says these words, it is no mean thing to be chosen of God, he wrote. God's choice makes chosen men choice. He says, we are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. 
In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed, yet here eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. Yes, God has a plan. Did Joseph go through the furnace? Yes, he did. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through the furnace? Literally, they did. And every Christian who's taken a stand from the days of the Bible, Genesis all the way through, and through the early days of the church on down to today, there has been much suffering because of our stand for the Lord. And you know, God uses suffering, doesn't he, in our lives? And I really believe he uses it more than he uses success and victory and good times and pleasureful times. He uses those hard times in our lives to train us, to trust him, to believe in him and to do his will no matter what. And when he put Abraham to the test in the book of Genesis chapter 22, he asked him to do something he had never asked anyone before. Now he has never asked anybody since then to offer up his son on the altar at Mount Moriah. And when he was about to plunge that knife into his son, God stopped him and says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear God. Now I know you're willing to do my will no matter what. Now I know I can count on you. Now I know you have the true faith. And that's why Abraham is called a man of faith and he is a, a friend of God because he was willing to do God's will and he was this close. When God asks us to do it, we should do it. And we should be willing to do it joyfully. Thirdly, God's will is enduring to the end. It's so easy to quit when times are tough. Very easy to do it. Because everybody else is giving up. And our circumstances are bad. And so we hear people all the time saying, how are you doing? Bad. Very bad. Very bad. I don't think as Christians we should ever answer that question as how you're doing or is you're doing very bad. We should say, I'm going through some difficult struggles. God is with me. I'm thankful for what he's allowed, but I'm trusting him. It's not something that's easy to go through, but I know that God's got a plan and a purpose to work out in our lives. And we should trust God to continue on until, number one, either he changes our circumstances or he changes our hearts, whichever comes first. And when we do that, that's what we do in accepting God's will for our life. It says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You know, God gives us strength to finish. He gives us encouragement. But sometimes we get tired and, we, and the finish line seems like it's so far away. And we pray, Lord, give me a second wind. Give me a second wind. They always say in a marathon, you, you need a second wind because you come to the wall in the marathon and you get tired. It may be at 18 miles, it may be at 20 miles, but that marathon is 26 miles. And not only 26 miles, but it's that 385 yards that used to always get me. It's 26 miles and 385 yards. Sometimes we can get through in life the 26 miles, but we have trouble with the last 385 yards. May God give us the grace to do His will even with the final 385 yards. You notice when they have the Olympic marathon, they run around the city and all of that 26 miles, and then they come in and they finish around the track. 
one time around that track, and it's just under 400 meters. When they come in and then they go around and they finish, they finish the marathon. And right now, if you look at our world, we're on the last 385 yards, brothers and sisters. We're on the end. We're almost at the finish line. We've come into the stadium. All the cloud of witnesses are cheering for us. We're getting closer to heaven, closer to the Lord's coming. We have to battle on, fight on, run on, and the Lord will give us His grace indeed. Through the difficulties, through the storms, and through the trials. I love this little poem I found. It's so beautiful. It's simple, and I like simple things. It says, one step won't take you very far. You've got to keep on walking. One word won't tell folks who you are. You've got to keep on talking. One inch won't make you very tall. You've got to keep on growing. One deed won't do it all. You've got to keep on going. I really like that. It's so simple, but it's so true. You've got to keep on going. And God has a plan. He has a purpose, and he has a will for us, and he's going to do it. I know I mentioned it before, but Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. And you can just visualize that in your mind. There the, the giraffes are going in fast, and all the horses are going in fast, and they're all walking into the ark, two by two into the ark, and here comes the little snail. It's going really, really, really slow, really, really slow. But guess what? Noah didn't close the ark until that last snail, the two of them, the last snails going in really slow got into that ark. And when God does something like that, he says, persevere, keep going. And if you're not saved this morning, you're not in the ark of Jesus Christ. And God's got that door open now, but you don't know how long it's going to be open. Who knows how long we have to live in this world? We need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because we don't know when God's going to say, that's it, we're closing the ark, the rapture's going to happen, no more second chances, you have to get saved now, immediately. So don't let it pass you by. And when we pray, God gives us the strength. You know, it's interesting, when you work in business, when do you get paid? Before you do the job or after you do the job? Before. You get paid after, right? Can you imagine what would happen if we went into work first of the month? We haven't done a single day of work. And they said, here's your pay. Here's your pay for the whole month, John. Here it is. How do you think we'd react? We would kind of say, I don't have to work hard, right? I've got the money already. I don't have to pour out myself. Why go in early? Why, why expend the energy I do? Why work long hours? I've got it up front, right? God doesn't give it up front. He wants us to work hard for it. He wants us to do his will. And it talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses six, 5 and 6, when it talks about the bondservants which today's language is employees. And he talks about the masters, in today's language, employers. And he says this, Bond servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Oh, wow, you're telling me that I can do God's will at work? Yes, I am. And you should do God's will at work. You say, well, how do I do God's will at work? By showing up on time, by working hard, by not complaining, by giving your all, 
and being a testimony to others. That's how you do God's will at work. And so many Christians miss it. They miss it. They don't realize how important that testimony is at work to work hard for the Lord. And then finally, the third thing that is important is God's will is being thankful for all things. Thankfulness costs us so very little. But it means so much to God, and it means so much to others. You know, at work, I always say that when you give a person a raise, you give them more money, that's a good thing. And people always put on the surveys, we want more money, we want more money. But you know what goes over, even greater than the money, is when somebody takes you aside and said, you did a good job. Alexander, great job. You did a great job on that project. Excellent. Vicky, fantastic. Aju, that assignment you were on, excellent. A word of encouragement, a word of thanks goes a long way. And how many employers miss it? They miss it. They don't take the opportunity to give that encouragement to their employees. And so whether we get an encouragement for the boss or not, we do it as unto the Lord, the scripture says. That's what's God's will, is we do it unto him. And when we do our work unto him, it will be the best work because it will be for him. And God, if he gives us little, we should thank him much. And if he gives us much, we should thank him more. And so it's a blessing when you think about how important Thanksgiving is. In a few months, in November, in a couple months, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, but we shouldn't wait to be thankful until Thanksgiving. Can you imagine waiting and holding up all these things? I'm going to wait till Thanksgiving Day, and then I'm going to be thankful to God for that day. No. We have to thank him today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, and Thanksgiving Day, and the day after Thanksgiving, and on and on and on, because God is worthy. He's done so much for us. And, and yet, no one is born thankful. Not one of us is born thankful. God has to teach us, doesn't he, thankfulness. You have to teach your kids thankfulness. Kathy, when you grow up, you raise two beautiful daughters. They're sitting right there. You have Jamie and, and Caitlin. Did they, did they have Thanksgiving down pat from the very beginning, or did you have to teach them? You had to teach them. <laughs> oh boy and so God has to teach us too to be thankful because by nature we're not thankful by nature we complain by nature we're never happy and so God teaches us to be thankful and he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Paul writing says rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yes, it's God's will to be thankful in everything, and that's difficult to do. But when we're thankful for God's will, he makes it go better. He really does. He makes it go smoother because we're not having that friction. I was riding home on BART yesterday, and my ears were hurting so bad, and I've been hearing how the BART trains, because of the wheels, they make this squealing sound, and I had never really noticed it that much, but it seemed like yesterday was excruciating. I was riding the train. It made it so loud. And that's kind of the way it is to God's ears when we complain and are not thankful. It's like that grinding sound or that when you nails on a chalkboard sound. That's what it must be like to God when he hears his people, instead of being thankful, complaining over the little things that we complain about. It really is sad. And we have to realize that thanksgiving is God's will. It's his will to give thanks. 
And not only to give thanks in everything, but he tells us beyond that we should give thanks for everything. And that's even more difficult. Where Paul wrote that to the Ephesians, he said, in giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no wiggle room. You can't say, well, I'm going to be thankful for these things because I like them, but I'm not going to be thankful for these things because I don't like them. No, because God's will allowed in our lives is for our good and we should never complain. And I know we do it. It convicts me. But we have to remember to be thankful. And we also have to remember that complaining really is a sin because after all God has given us and he's given us everything, we complain about the little things that we either don't have or the things that we do have that are hard for us. And it's sad. It's sad. But can you imagine if God was to say, okay, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, we're going to have you carry around a little tape with you, maybe an MP3 or whatever, and you're going to carry it with you and it's going to record everything you say for the whole day. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed at night, it's going to record everything you say. And then at the end of the tape, we're going to see how many times you complain versus how many times you give thanks. That convicted me when I thought about it, that. Because how many times do we really thank the Lord for what he's given us? How many times? Complaining is, is so prevalent, and it comes from our old nature. God wants us to be thankful. So to sum up today, we have to remember that God's word has revealed his will to us. He's given it in the New Testament. He's given it in the Old Testament. If we search the scriptures, and he wants us to desire to do his will. He wants us to determine what his will is through the word and through circumstances, counsel, and prayer. And then he wants us to do God's will. It's the doing, though, that sometimes trips us up. We know what God's will is. We say, I want to do it. But when it comes right down to it, do we do it? Do we do it in the trenches? Do we do it when it's hard and difficult? That's the key. That is the key to doing God's will as the willing spirit that we need to have. Because his will is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. And if we separate ourselves from this world and separate ourselves from sin, we'll be doing God's will and our lives will, will shine in this dark world. And God's will is suffering for the cause of Christ. There's no two ways about it. He even says in Scripture, let those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, it says. And then God's will is to endure to the end, not to quit, but to keep carrying on. And God will give us the endurance and the strength to do His will, even through difficulties. And finally, God's will is for us to be thankful in all things and for all things. And to not have hearts that complain, tongues that complain, but to be thankful. The question for us today as we end this message is this. Am I willing to do God's will joyfully? In separation from the world and sin, in suffering for the cause of Christ, in enduring to the end, and in being thankful in all things. Are we willing to do God's will? That's something that every person has to ask themselves. And if you're here today and you haven't received Christ, that's the first step in God's will is getting saved. It says that, that God does not desire that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. So that's the first step in doing God's will is getting saved. And then the next step is to obey him and do his will the rest of your life. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your will in our lives. So many times we think our will is better. We think the way we're doing things is the right way. But we come to realize, Lord, so many times that our will and our way is not right. It's not good for us at all. And we thank you, Lord, for your perfect will, your good and acceptable and perfect will. Help us to do your will, Lord. Help us to, to deny ourselves and to take our will and throw it to the side because it's not going to help us. But help us to do your will, Lord, in all of these things. We thank you and praise you for this time. Pray you'll write these things on our hearts and help us to obey them and apply them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.